Welcome to part two of this edition of the WILX Sports Blitz podcast. Kyle Austin is going to join me. We're going to talk Michigan State football and basketball and everything in between. So without further ado, here we are. And joining us now is Kyle Austin from MLive. Kyle covers Michigan State in all forms and facets. And right now we got the football season wrapping up or just wrapped up in one form or fashion. And Michigan State basketball is just about to jump into Big Ten play. It's a very exciting time. It's also a very unusual time, but it's nice that we at least still have it here. Kyle, thank you so much for making time. How are you doing? Doing very well. Glad to uh, glad to have some Michigan State sports to cover here. We're not sure a couple months ago if that was going to be the case, but uh, nice and busy. I like it. Yeah, and it's so far everything that I have seen and read and experienced. It looks like, well, we'll just address the elephant in the room. Michigan State, for the most part, from what you've seen, their athletics department, it seems like they've been able to be do a very good job so far avoiding some of the biggest issues other programs have had. A few Michigan State basketball games and now even Michigan State, um, well, Michigan State football and Michigan State basketball both have had games canceled, but that's been due to tests within the other organizations, correct? Yeah, that, that's right. I mean, the, the only real issue... On the Michigan State end was a, a football shutdown way back in July um, uh, before um, back when it looked like they were going to play originally in September. But since then, it, it's been pretty smooth sailing. I mean, they've had um, they've had a handful um, of cases here and there, um, but but nothing, nothing warranting a shutdown. Uh, we'll, we'll see if that continues. I mean, I, I think that's it, it's hard to tell how much of that is diligence. I, I do think they're being diligent, but I think there's probably some being fortunate to it too. I think there's other programs that have been diligent and um, have had issues. So we'll see. I mean, I mean, Tom Izzo talks as if it's a likelihood to happen at some point to his program during the season, but it's been so far so good for Michigan State. Yeah. And that's been uh, an impressive part. I mean, he, he, Tom Izzo had the virus and so far he seems to recovered well have you seen a, a difference in terms of it's got to be interesting for new players and new coaches? Uh, they're all, not only dealing with the pandemic, but then a new environment. How are like the upperclassmen responding to this to versus freshmen who heck the freshmen, their senior year of high school, they were dealing with this to some extent as well? I, I think there's a big difference, and I think for Michigan State basketball in particular, having guys like Joshua Langford and Aaron Henry um, have helped them be a little bit more steady. You know, you look around the the national scene a little bit, and you see a team like uh, like Kentucky um, playing playing very poorly, uh, or even a team like Duke, who Michigan State beat, I think playing a little bit below expectations. Um, those teams have plenty of talent. I, I, I think that experience experience is always important in college basketball, but I think this year having kind of a steady hand, um, having somebody who's not, maybe doesn't know what to expect because this is new to everybody, but can maybe um, maybe be able to weather this a little bit more. I, I think that's a benefit this year. Um, and I think Michigan State has leaned on Joshua Langford a lot and Foster Lawyer and Aaron Henry, as I mentioned. And, and I think it's, um, I think it's helping them. I mean, it, it's all kind of new territory, but um, it's been nothing but praise from Tom Izzo and from players as far as how they're doing it. And I think there have been years where Michigan State has been younger. I think nobody really saw this coming, but it was a good um, a good year to be a little bit older than to have some guys like that. So changes aren't just for the athletes and the programs. Uh, it's also impacting everybody in all facets of light. What is changed for you covering the team, what has changed with uh, media accessibility? How is Michigan State kind of handling the interaction with the players and the coaches in this new age? Uh, well, it's very different, um, particularly in basketball. Uh, it's different in both sports, but basketball, I mean, Tom is always known for having a lot of access to his program and, and having people in and uh, open locker rooms um, after after basketball games. You can go in the locker room, talk to anybody you want to. Uh, and that's pretty rare in college basketball. But but obviously that's um, that's not happening this year. Uh, there's no face to face interviews with anybody in either football or basketball. Um, and, you know, the school's doing the best they can. You know, we have we have Zooms with with Mel Tucker once a week. And then after games, we have 
uh, Tommy Zo. Um, but it, you know, it, it's like with any other walk of life, you know, it's not quite the same looking at somebody on a computer as being there in person. Um, you, you just kind of lose an element. Um, it, it's hard to, to, to get the same amount of, of time with somebody. You can't kind of sidle up next to somebody after practice and, and pick their brain, you know, 15 or 20 minutes, you know, it's everybody kind of, kind of doing the same thing, um, all together on zoom. So it's, um, I mean, there's a lot worse fates to have. Uh, I was worried uh, for a while that we wouldn't have any basketball for um, until January at least. So I'll, I'll take this over one of the alternatives, but uh, uh, certainly makes you appreciate um, just the value of, of seeing people in person and being able to to kind of have that connection to them because uh, it's hard. It's certainly harder to do over over a human computer. Yeah, and that's something that comes up with just trying to learn someone new. I I know with starting a new role in my life. It's been a, an interesting trying to reach out and connect with new people to to learn who they are. And it's definitely been company-wide Zoom calls and uh, more emails, a little bit more Messenger and Microsoft Teams trying to get back and forth. It was Mel Tucker's first year at Michigan State. He jumped, he got the job just before everything shut down and has had to make do in a lot of different ways. What are your thoughts on Mel Tucker's first year in the one of the more challenging situations a college coach has had to jump into, both from what the organization was dealing with before a pandemic and then having to play a delicate balancing act of everything since? You know, I, I think on the whole, um, I think on the whole, I have to say it's it's probably a little positive. I mean, not overwhelmingly positive. I don't think he he blew anybody away. But um, like you said, I mean, I mean, he came in, he was such a late hire coming in in February. He only had about a month in person um, before everything got shut down. I mean, he barely got his staff together. Um, But, you know, losing your first spring practice period um, as a head coach, I mean, I mean, that's just debilitating, not being able to, to install your offense, to install your defense, to evaluate players, the personnel that you have. Um, I mean, trying to do those sorts of things on, on the computer, it's just not a substitute. So um, really, really put behind the eight ball, I thought, um, by all that. Um, I had pretty low expectations, but um, I, the consistency w- was tough to come by. I mean, you can certainly look at games like the Iowa one um, and Ohio State, I think, to a lesser extent and say that those were pretty rough for them. But um, beating Michigan, and I think especially beating Northwestern, um, for, for them to be able to rise up, um, I, I know Michigan had a down year, but but Northwestern being able to rise up um, and beat one of the better teams in the Big Ten, uh, a team that went to the big won their division, went to the Big Ten title game, um, and then winning a rivalry game um, in the first year under a head coach. Not a lot of coaches at Michigan State have done that. Um, I, I, to me that the, some of that makes it a positive. Um, I know the record is probably still going to be disappointing to some, to some fans, but I was always looking for glimpses this year because they don't have the personnel to, to go toe to toe with Ohio state. That's going to take time. He, Mel Tucker didn't inherit a roster that was able to do that. Um, so to me, it was about, um, are these guys going to show up? Are they going to play hard? Are they going to be disciplined? Are we and are we going to see flashes of of potential? And, and that's what we saw. So um, a lot of work to do, you know, recruiting to build off of that. But um, I, I think overall, given the circumstances, um, it, it was not a bad year for him. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say. Yeah, Michigan State they end the regular season with a two and five record, which those two wins they're pretty big wins. So it's over Michigan, over Northwestern, like you said, you got a ranked win there. It's and Michigan was ranked at the time too. It's I don't know if I've ever seen a team where that they've been able to rise to the challenge on two two times in a very spectacular way, and then the rest of the season has kind of slipped away a little bit. There's been Tucker preaches a even keel approach, never getting too high, never getting too low, and this Michigan State team has had all of that across the board from a very high and low approach. From some weeks, it's not just necessarily been a a linear growth curve. There's been a step forward. There's been two steps back. What do you attribute to just the wild variance in Michigan State? They they lose to a feisty Rutgers team. They beat Michigan, who was ranked number 13. Then they 
been blown out by Iowa, Indiana, and then they surge right back against Northwestern. I, I've never seen a Michigan State team quite so confounding as this one. No, it it is pretty confounding. I, I mean, there's a couple different reasons. Uh, the Rutgers were just about the turnovers, uh, not just about the turnovers, but that was such a huge part of that game to me. Um, that was the main thing there. Iowa, I, I think there was probably some hangover from beating Michigan, but also Iowa turned out they were 0-2 when Michigan State played them, but they turned out to be a very good team. Um, so maybe not quite by 41 points, but I don't think there was um, there was a whole lot of shame in losing at Iowa. Uh, and, and same with Indiana. I mean, Michigan State played Indiana when they had Michael Penix at quarterback, um, and he, they were really rolling when Michigan State played. Yeah, they were ranked number 10 at the time. Indiana was a really good team with him. Yeah, they were ranked number 10. Really good team. They went and went toe-to-toe with Ohio State, played a very good game with Ohio State the next game. Uh, So a a shout-out at home, you want to see a little bit better than that. But um, those two games, I think, were mostly Michigan State was overmatched, and those were two pretty darn good teams. And Ohio State jumping up ahead a little bit, that's the same thing. Ohio State is just head and shoulders better than everyone else in the conference. And and they would have liked to be closer than 40 points behind them. Um, but, you know, to me, it's the um, the Rutgers game um, that kind of stands out. I mean, that's the first game. So you're going to have some hiccups there. And then, you know, Penn State, um, you know, the defense wasn't there. So I I, I, I think a lot of it has to do with just with youth too. Is You know, they don't – they had some experience, but a lot of guys – a lot of younger guys out there, a lot of guys under a new system, and it's it's hard to find consistency. And, um, uh, you know, just week to week, I mean, that's something that comes with a lot of games under your belt. And I think that that's something that'll develop. I know it probably bothers Mel Tucker um, that he's not seeing it. I mean, I know it bothers him. He, he brings it up all the time, but that's something they'll build towards. But um, I, I think you look at the peaks of their season, uh, Michigan and Northwestern, um, I think that's some promise, and you try to build the build the consistency from there. Both of those games, too, I mean, the up-and-down performance, it's tied directly to the quarterback play. Now, the defense has had moments mm-hmm. where it has also been very up-and-down, but the easiest thing you can specifically look at is Rocky Lombardi has had games where he's had a monster arm. He's had games where he was awful, and the team still found a way to win. And in everything in the middle there. And then he gets knocked out and hurt. Thorne slowly pops in. And then he's made the switch against Ohio State in the second half. And then the previous week to close out the season. The quarterback play, it's Tucker stood by Lombardi. And then he went to Thorne. Thorne looks like he's a little bit more accurate, maybe a little bit less of an arm. But the chains move What's your evaluation of the quarterback position for a coach who they're not necessarily his guys. He's inherited both of them.
Yeah, Thorne jumped in against Ohio State. It's not like he got a lot of reps. He came in uh, in relief at Indiana. He was 10 of 20. He was 22 of 39 last against Penn State. But against Ohio State, to see a quarterback come off the bench 16 of 25 for 147 yards and a, a rushing touchdown a running for 42 yards, you usually don't see a quarterback, a backup quarterback, attack Ohio State and be successful, especially when all other parts of the offense aren't really working and the defense isn't really able to work either because it's Ohio State. Yeah, just looking at the stats really quick, Peyton Thorne, uh, 50%, 64%, 56%, nothing crazy all, all jumping off the page. But then you, you look at Lombardi, and it the start of the year, it was at over 70%, and then 50%, and then everything else has been 40%. And I would almost compare it to, for the people out there who watch the NFL, uh, if you've seen what's happened with the Eagles and Carson Wentz, and where just something psychologically, it feels like, has kind of broken and in terms of just the decision making and, and the anxiety there at the position, just not able to complete the, the the short passes you need for an offense to function. And for those short passes, those are crucial when you can't run the ball, which Tucker comes in, seems like a very similar mentality to his predecessor, D'Antonio, with a ground and pound pro style offense with a strong defense. and that part of the equation wasn't really there. The run game has been an enigma, if not missing in action. It's been uh, Connor Hayward has led the way for Michigan State, and then Jordan Sims, and then Elijah Collins. And my big question, I don't know if Tucker has uh, addressed this specifically before, but last year, Elijah Collins seemed to be the breakout player at the running back position. And this year, he came in at third on the death chart, and his reps were I think down to a quarter of what they were last year. Now that was a full season, but still to go from over 200 yards rushing or uh, rushing attempts to just a handful, that's a drastic fall off.
And the biggest name right now, I think, at least for Michigan State, coming off against at least the end of the season against Penn State, Jordan Simmons kind of came on to the scene, I would say. Uh, he also had a really big game earlier. I think it was against Michigan where he led the team in rushing. And it it seems like he's the Michigan State's, I don't know, it's kind of Michigan State now kind of has two answers by default at both the quarterback and now running back position. He at least averaged the most, he has the leading the team in yards. He's averaging 3.9 yards per carry. That's kind of what you're looking for in a running back. He's not a big bruiser, but uh, it's his first year and he's seemed to at least slide in there as the most talented. Is he going to be the bell cow going forward? And trajectory might be kind of the theme for this season for Mel Tucker coming in first year, a, a lot of turnover, uh, even though Michigan state went seven and six last year, it's it, so they technically had a winning record this year. They're going to end with a losing record. It feels like they've at least found answers and some sort of foundation to build on, which is the most important part from this program. They've, they might've found a quarterback. They've might've found a running back, which those are going to be the two most important parts of any team. The next step, though, Tucker has commented that he is going to recruit like crazy, which means maybe all of this is turned up. Maybe the transfer portal throws things kind of up in the air. Signing day is uh, right in that time right now with high school players deciding on making their next steps. What do you think we're going to see going from year one to year two? With uh, Is there going to be a surge of young players coming in here? Is Tucker going to make everybody kind of earn their way and pay their dues? There are going to be transfer portals. Just what's your feel on the situation? I, I think it's going to be fascinating. I, I'm, I'm really interested to see how the next few months go because Mel Tucker has been remarkably open and honest about how much he wants to turn over a roster. Um, and that's just not something you, you hear in college a lot. Because you still um, you have, know, I mean, we're still in the middle of the season and these remarks have come out. Right. So he still has these kids playing for him. What, that, that's, right, they're still playing for him. Right. I mean, he used the phrase, Com- compete to play, complete to stay, compete to stay, which is him saying, work hard to get on the field. And if you don't work hard enough, you're also not going to be here next year, which I think has kind of always been like an element that's there in college sports. I mean, in on, in theory, on paper, you know, you sign a four-year scholarship, you're supposed to have your roster spot um, for four years. But I think we all know that um, that's not always the case. And, and Mel Tucker, to me, is being uh, pretty straightforward in saying that, um, you know, you need to earn your scholarship year in, year out. And uh, he's he's been pretty clear, especially lately, that um, I think he sees some guys on that roster that he doesn't, think have earned their spot for next year and talking very openly about uh, the transfer portal that that's not something that Michigan State has relied on very heavily the the portal itself hasn't been in existence all that long but Michigan State has not typically taken a lot of transfers but sounds like they're going to be taking a lot more Um, I think it's going to be easier to take more because it sounds like a lot of guys are going to get immediate eligibility if not everybody Um, so I think that they're going to recruit a lot of other rosters and look for, for guys. I think you're going to see a lot of guys leave, whether that's they decide to leave, it's not the right fit or whether maybe they're encouraged a little bit. Um, and, you know, a, a signing day class that's going to come in, that's going to be large. I mean, he's talking 25 guys. I mean, there's going to be between the two signing days by February, a, a signing class of 25 that will be large. So it's, um, it's going to be a lot of turnover. Um, and he wants to get his type of guys in here and get them in, in a hurry. he, he really didn't have the opportunity to do that at all. I mean, most new coaches come in in December. They can kind of do a, a hurry-up recruiting class before February and get some of their guys in, maybe get a few transfers in. Um, but between his late hire and then COVID, um, Mel Tucker really wasn't able to remake the roster. So I think he sees a lot of 
a lot of changes he wants to make. And I, I think he's going to be making a lot of them here. There's going to be a lot of new faces around next year. And then another factor in all of this, something that is unusual in a year of high unusual occurrences is that every player has been granted an extra year of eligibility. Do you get the sense that there are going to be seniors who are actually going to plan to come back? Are there seniors that Tucker would actively like to come back? Or are there players that are seniors that are looking to transfer and get in that fifth or if they're red shirts, you know, a sixth year within uh, college athletics? Uh, all of the above. I, I think it's <laughs> it's um, it, it's going to be a case by case um, scenario. And I think that's after the season. I think that's probably one of the first things they'll tackle is uh, who makes sense to to come back? Uh, who who do we think fits on our roster and depth chart next year? Um, and, and this is both the program and the players. Who wants to come back? Who do we want to come back? Who um, maybe could benefit from a change of scenery? Maybe they want to go to a different level and play a little bit more. Um, I would think some of some players will probably want to move on to professional football. Um, you know, after four years. Um, and, and, and try their luck there as opposed to another year and another year wear and tear on your body. Um, so it, it's going to be, um, I'll be curious to see how many come back because I think there's a lot of different ways you can go right now if you're a senior on a college football roster um, and a lot of decisions to make and a lot of decisions for coaches to make. So it'll be interesting. Now looking ahead, Tucker, he finally gets his first year of recruiting in there. He's going to probably get some returning seniors. We got this extra year of eligibility penciling in a very light penciling in Peyton Thorne, Jordan Simmons as the starter just right now. Where do you see this team going under a year or two with Mel Tucker this year? They finished under 500 and, but with two very, very big wins, do you see them taking a step up to six and six? Or are we, we thinking that there might be better growth or opportunity for a team? I, I think six and six probably sounds in the ballpark to me. Um, I, I mean, this is a program that that should be able to be, um, you know, in the middle middle to upper middle class of, of the Big Ten. Um, I mean, they've got the history. They've got some of the resources. Um, they, they should, there are some programs, they should be better than some teams like Rutgers. Um, Indiana surging, but, you know, Year over year, that should be a, a program that you should be able to stay ahead of and, and some other ones. Um, so, I mean, a lot of it's going to depend on um, on the talent that they get in, how, how well he can rebuild this roster and how well he can recruit um, and, and how many of these guys end up panning out. Because, you know, what worked so well for Mark D'Antonio is, you know, not so much beating. I mean, you're not going to consistently beat Michigan and Ohio State um, and Wisconsin and programs like that for recruits. It's. Um, how well can you kind of find those diamonds in the rough and that that three-star linebacker from from Ohio who ends up being an all-Big Ten player in a couple of years? Um, how well are they going to be able to find those guys? Because to, to me, that's always going to be key for Michigan State when you can't when you can't be like Ohio State and just kind of wave your hand and let all and have all the five stars come want to join your program. I mean, you gotta you gotta be really good at talent evaluation and finding those guys. Um, and it, that's something that we're not sure how the staff's going to do. They might do very well at it. Um, they, they might not do very, very well at it. They haven't really had the chance yet to, to do it. So I'm, I'm really curious. I think we'll have a lot better once we see the roster um, and, and see some of these guys, I think year two, I mean, always for a new coach, you kind of evaluate them once they get their own players in the system or once they start to, um, so I, I think that'll be really telling is when we see the first real Mel Tucker roster and what they look like. But based on what we saw this year, what he did in a very trying circumstance and, and seeing some of those glimmers of hope, I think I think they'll at least take a step forward and, and maybe can set themselves up to, to, to even better things. It's not like Michigan State either is at a, a deficit or a lack of resources either. It's a it's a top forty program uh in the worst of times and they're making a top 10 level of investment in the coaching staff. I mean, the financial investment is there. The uh, alumni base is there. The audience is there. It's just going to come down to how do you compete within a top 25 level for players? And then if that investment is going to be the biggest thing that you can use for a competitive advantage, like you said, getting those three-star guys in your talent evaluation, how do you mold them and grow them where maybe you're not going to beat Ohio State every year, 
but you at least put yourself on a trajectory where if everything breaks right for the most part and you're, you play smarter and harder, you can win and be based on its skill and overall development and not just not necessarily just straight NFL talent. Because that is always Michigan State. There's been one recruiting class that they've had that really looked like it was going to project that way. And then the, the bottom dropped out and the development and other parts of it just weren't there. Right. I mean, that that's the Mark D'Antonio model. I mean, to me, he he showed them the way. Um, and um, not not to say that Mel Tucker has to do everything like D'Antonio did. But uh, I mean, like you said, I mean, the, the Big Ten is the haves and the have nots. And Ohio State is the haves and everybody else, frankly, is the have nots. And you're um, you, you're just trying to get to a point where, like you said, um, you can you can win a couple of recruiting battles. You can find these guys that um, you can develop, um, get a get a nice uh, veteran roster. I mean, that was always key for Michigan State under Antonio too. Is that other teams might have some more young talent on the field, but Michigan State always had a ton of juniors and seniors that had been on the program for a long time, didn't make a lot of mistakes, um, and and could kind of beat you that way. Um, and I, I think it's going to take some work to get back to there, but, um, it's, it's certainly possible. I mean, I, there were people who, who never, who didn't think what Mark D'Antonio did would, would be able to be done in the modern era of Michigan state football. Um, and I think seeing that it can be done, um, recently, I think, um, probably gives a lot of people some hope that they can get back there. It, it's certainly not going to be easy. Um, but uh, you know, I think Mel Tucker knows what needs to be done. And, and the biggest thing too is. If you have a quarterback or if you have a star running back, that that that's the great equalizer. If you've got one of those players who's just transcendent, I don't know if Michigan State has a transcendent player in Peyton Thorne or Jordan Simmons, but they do seem to be two very good players, and that might at least give them a better shot. So what? last question for... Uh, sorry, I interrupted you there. No, no, I, I was going to say that, you know, Le'Veon Bell wasn't transcendent until he was, and Connor Cook, I don't know if I'd use transcendent, but he wasn't a very good quarterback until he was. So it's, you know, it's development and, and, and see what you got in these guys. Right, yeah, and then when, when they pop, they they, right. they truly pop. And mm-hmm. Though, I, I'm still flashing back to the Boise State game where it just felt like Le'Veon Bell ran for a million times and they they, they eked it out. And right. I think that ended in a 7-6 and six Buffalo Wild Wings season, but... <laughs> At Le'Veon Bell was still a transcendent talent. And right. so final Michigan State football question. What was the biggest highlight or the biggest positive you saw in the season for the team? And then what is your biggest question mark for the team going into the offseason? Uh, I, I still think that Northwestern game to me was was the biggest highlight, not only because it's the best team that they beat, but um I I like what I saw on out of the team in the second half, just from kind of a mentality standpoint. You know, if you remember how that game went, they jumped up pretty big, um, and then Northwestern got it together. They're coming back, um, getting closer. Second half, take the lead, and um, I I thought that was it at that point. You know, Northwestern comes back. You got a superior team that's got all the momentum and takes the lead on you. Um, and that team found it in the second half and they turned it around and they made plays down the stretch. Um, and they beat a good team, um, uh, at home. And, and that to me, I mean, stuff like that is, is what you need to see in the first year. And that told me that they've got some guys that, that know how to win a, a tough football game. And, and that's, and that's key. So, so to me, I think that was probably the highlight. I know for fans, um, it was obviously the Michigan game, but, um, the, to me, the second half of that Northwestern game was even bigger. Um, and, and to me, the low light, I, I, I don't want to seem like I'm trying to um, pick from too many here, but um, <laughs> I mean, it, like it was a rough season. It was a rough season. I mean, there's no shame in losing to Ohio State, but I, th- I think what stood out to me is just how big that talent gap is, you know? And um, uh, you could say that about a lot of teams in the Big Ten, but it wasn't just that they lost the way that they did, but that just looked like, you know, a varsity team against the JV team out there. And it, it, to me, it was just, you come off the Northwestern game, you feel really good. Okay. You know, we beat the best team in the West. Um, we got something going and then Ohio state shows up. And to me, it was a, um, it was a cold, uh, it was a cold bucket of water over the head where we're in the division. 
against a juggernaut that is not going anywhere. Um, maybe Justin Fields leaves, but they'll get the next Justin Fields um, in there. And um, it, it's going to be really daunting to to get back to to be being able to even compete with those guys to give them a game. And, and that's what everybody, I think, in the East is struggling to do right now. So um, if there was a low light, it was kind of that reminder and, and the fact that they really couldn't stay on the field against Ohio State um, and, and kind of knowing knowing how much work there is to, to kind of get it back to that level. Now, switching from the gridiron to the hard court, Michigan State basketball, uh, after a rough season for football, Michigan State basketball is off to a absolutely fantastic start it's perfect record wise. It's almost perfect performance wise. There has still been some close calls against some schools who are you're, you're scratching your head, but they also have the big win against the top tier teams that they've played so far. Michigan State basketball, as of this recording, is at six and zero, and it's an incredibly talented roster. I, I don't know if I've ever seen a team where it's been this complete, or I've seen players take the next step where Aaron Henry and Gabe Brown are both playing at very, very high levels. Joey Hauser coming in as this pure stretch big who can also very be very skilled and just as a double-double is a just... It's an assortment uh, of riches for Tom Izzo coming into the season. What do you think of the Spartans so far on the hard court? You know, it's interesting because we were all wondering what it's going to be like after losing Cassius Winston, uh, after losing Xavier Tillman, um, and like to me, the answer has been it, it's a team without a, a real bona fide star. You know, I don't, I don't think I see any All Americans on that roster. I'm not sure I see right now, at least, a first team All Big Ten player, maybe Aaron Henry. Uh, but sometimes you're a little bit better off if you have a lot of very good, but, but pretty equal, you know, in terms of ability level players as opposed to, to having one or two real stars. And obviously they did a lot of great things with Cassius Winston. But um, right now, I mean, they've got five, six guys that can lead you in scoring in any given night. Um, you uh, you got a game where it's not working for Aaron Henry. It's not working for Josh Langford. That's fine. You know, Julius Marble can come off the bench like you get against Duke um, and hit all five of his shots and, and you win that way. Um They've got, um, we talk about depth every year, but I, I think they've got more quality depth, more, you know, starting caliber or close to starting caliber depth um, down through five, six, seven guys um, than they've had at a lot of points. Uh, and and that, that's working well for them so far. I think they're a hard team to plan against. Um, I think they, they have a lot of versatility. They can play a lot of different sizes and styles. And um, we'll see what happens when they get into Big Ten play. But the... The, the no transcendent star, a lot of pretty good players uh, that I think mold together well. Uh, it, it's working pretty well for them so far. And you're, you've mentioned that they have a ton of depth, and it, it's true. Go down the roster here, and you can put out a bunch of different lineups however you want. You could go really, really crazy and put basically a whole lineup of centers out there if you wanted. <laughs> it, it, not that that would be feasible, but I don't know. Maybe it's the Big Ten. You, you, you get weird sometimes with that, but the the depth between the the high end guards and then just the amount of players who can play center or power forward on this team is kind of mind boggling, especially the number of bigs. And it's almost a log jam there where there's just so many guys like Matty Sissoko, the freshman there, his wingspan. I, I have no idea how mm-hmm. long it is. It just looks like he's got a pterodactyl arms that go on forever. Um, and, and he, he plays mop up duty because they don't need a, a freshman like him who's still developing to, to contribute in any way, they've got five, six guys ahead of him who can play. Looking at this roster right now, they're starting, uh, it's Watts, Langford, Henry, Hauser, and then uh, Kithier. That's their starting roster, but they, they very, very quickly switch it up, change it up. Is there a go-to roster or a go-to lineup for Izzo at this point? I've just seen him play kind of whoever whenever and it works yeah i mean it's um there have been a lot of different lineups and i think that's kind of one of the question marks is once you get into big 10 play i think you have to to tighten it up a little bit and and find your lineups that you that you want more and find your 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 kind of winning time lineup i call it you know the the when you got two minutes left in a tie game at at iowa you know in a couple weeks who are the five guys are going to put on the floor um 
the first four you mentioned, I, I think are pretty much it. Um, I think Rocket Watts has, has become the point guard here. Uh, Joshua Langford I, has been better than I expected, better than I thought he would be coming off all of his injury. And that's, that's great to see for him. Um, Aaron Henry, he's done everything but shoot the ball, really. Um, really been versatile. Uh, Joey Hauser, uh, I think is finding his shot, but uh, he's been he's been pretty solid for them. Center's really the only question for me because um, – uh, they're starting Kithier now, but I'm not certainly don't think he's been their best option. Um, I, I think Bingham and Bingham has flashed at times. Uh, Julius Marble has flashed at times. I, I think he we could see some more of him. Uh, I kind of keep waiting for one of those guys to really kind of step up and um, and kind of take hold of that spot. I I don't know if I have a soft spot for him or what, but I keep waiting for Marcus Bingham. I feel like he's got all the potential in the world. I can't kind of keep waiting for him to put it all together. Cause I think he could be a very, a very good big 10 forward. Um, if he, if he can really just cut, start playing consistency consistently. But um, the other four guys, I mean, I think that's, I think that's the group you want out there to start. And I think that's the group you want out there at the end. Um, I, Gabe Brown would be right behind them. It wouldn't shock me to see him try to get on the court, you know, in some key moments too. Um, but I think, you know, four out of five is is pretty good, a lot better than a lot of teams have right now. And Marble, I remember uh, they just, a, what, a week or so ago talking about how he talked about, talked with Izzo about practice and having the practice time translate, the effort there translate into minutes. And then he just kind of, out rebounds everybody leaps out of the gym uh just incredible incredible rebounding off the bench from what i've seen here malik hall i don't quite think he's gonna ever play center at least with Izzo wanting to be bigger but he's been really really impressive as a rebounder and it's interesting that the i think the best rebounders on this team are coming off the bench i mean hauser uh, he's been doing a good job boxing out and things like that but in terms of just the straight up athletes the guys who are going to just go up there and soar for the ball it looks like it's kind of Hall and Marble, and then uh, Bingham has it just because of his sheer size combined with the athleticism as well. Yeah, and um, you know, Malik Hall to me is the guy who um, probably deserves more playing time more than he's gotten. I mean, he just, you know, he started the second half of last year, played pretty well, you know, considering he's a freshman. But he just he had a very good player coming as a transfer right at his position and. Um, he, I mean, he's still been getting on the court right, a decent amount, but um, I'll be curious if they can, they've been experimenting a little bit more with Hall at the four and Hauser at the five. I'm not sure how well that's going to, if that lineup has the size in the big 10 to, to go out there often, but I think that's getting two pretty good players and rebounders on the floor at the same time and, and can kind of solve your, um, your, your center job a little bit. But uh, yeah, Joey Hauser has been doing good rebounding and, um, and, and same with, um, same with Julius Marble. I mean, he's a guy that, I mean, you mentioned, I mean, he, he, he barely got on the floor the first two games, um, really kind of let it be known. He wanted better, had a great Duke game. Um, still hasn't gotten out there a lot, but I, I wonder once they get into big 10 play, they start seeing uh bigger, bulkier, big men. Um, if, if he, if he can get out there a little bit more, cause I think he's going to be able to, to defend some of these guys, maybe a little bit better, than um, Thomas Kithier and um, and Marcus Bingham can. I mean, nobody's going to be able to. I don't think anybody can be able to shut down Luca Garza. But I think um, I think Julius Marble, just with his size and strength, maybe has the best chance against someone like him or, or Kofi Coburn at Illinois or something like that. So I think um, I think Julius Marble's time is coming. Um, I think he'll probably ascend the most. Um, and I'm. You mentioned him earlier. I'm I'm really curious about Monty Sissoko because he is just he's just a, a mountain of potential for me. Um, he, he's barely played basketball. Um, I mean, not barely. He only played a couple of years of basketball, so I think he's still got a ton to learn. But man, if he can put it together, some of those physical abilities are, are really kind of eye popping for him. Yeah, I just ha- I just personally haven't seen a athlete with his physical tools come through Michigan State. There's Jaron Jackson, very long and lanky, but Sissoko, he looks like a a giant redwood that could crush any and everybody, (laughs) even in the Big Ten when they have, it's it's a land of physical basketball play. He looks like he'd be a perfect uh, physical body. Kind of, I can see flashes of kind of a Delvin Rowe in there in terms of the defensive potential 
uh, locked away. He just he's so excited. He just has to learn how to not foul everybody when he gets on the court. How to not and, how to not goal ten to ball ten. <laughs> yeah, there was that one block <laughs> early in the season too, where it was yeah. an obvious goal ten, but yeah. every nobody cared. It was the end of the game. Right. It just was fun. So the the there's a such a log jam at the center and power forward position with the, just big in general. There's a ton of bigs there. There's a little bit less depth at the guard position. There's not really a backup shooting guard that I'm seeing here. We've got three point guards for Michigan State if we're going traditional. And then uh, Langford and Henry and Brown at their size, 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, They're wings who can also play the two for Michigan State and are going to be doing so by default with this team. Uh, we, we talked about how... Uh, Marble's probably going to try to seize the center position at some point. At least that's that's where I'd lean. I think I'd eventually want to start Marble. And just from what everything he's shown, he looks very complete. Lawyer started the season for Michigan State at the point guard position, and Wants has taken it over. And they're two very different stylistically. Michigan State, the last four years with Cassius Winston, and, and before that even, has had a lot of very traditional go- uh, point guards who are very pass-first, and the offense flows very well through them. And Lawyer has some very, very crisp pass passing ability and looks so good out there as a passer. But Watts is this next-level combination of athlete and score at the point guard position. Izzo starting him. Is Izzo incredibly happy with Watts at there? The, the production is there from an offensive side, and the uh, outcome, the wins are there. But he's not necessarily a, a traditional Izzo point guard. You know, I this is one of my biggest questions, too, uh, is kind of how this dynamic was going to work because uh, you're right, Rocket Watch does a ton of things really well, uh, but it's not always what uh, the sort of thing that Izzo wants to see. But I think, I think they've kind of both adapted to each other um, and met each other in the middle a little bit. Uh, I mean... Tom talks about how during the offseason, Rocket kind of came to the realization that his NBA future is really at the point. And I think maybe he knew that before, but I think really kind of embraced that just with his size. I mean, there's not a lot of guys um, his size at the shooting guard spot in the NBA. Yeah, he's so, he's 6'2 for 6'2". those listening yes, at home. I, I, mean, I was about to go look it up. So thank you for, uh, for filling that in. Yeah, yeah. And, and his game's kind of similar to DeMar DeRozan. And DeRozan is... Uh, I would have thought six five, but he, he's about six 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 seven. Right. So yeah, and he, that's kind of looks small out there for NBA. Mm-hmm. So I think um, I think Izzo realized um, after maybe doing a little shopping too for an upgrade um, or for a different point guard at least that um, Rocket was the best option out there. So I, I think Izzo's compromise is um, live with I think maybe some sh- some shots you might not love because when Rocket is at his best, he is um, you know he's He's shooting, you know, pretty high volume compared to a lot of Michigan State point guards. And maybe he's a little bit more shoot first compared to some guys like Cassius Winston, certainly Foster Lawyer. But, um, you know, he, he can fill it up. They, they, I don't think they beat Detroit without him really going out there in the second half and looking to score and looking for his shot. Um, so I think that's Izzo um, realizing that it's going to look a little different and maybe isn't quite the way he loves the point guard play. But um, I think him him accepting it and trying to um, to harness Rocket, what Rocket Watts does well. Um, and then Watts, on the other hand, I, I, I do think that he's taken upon himself to learn a lot from the point guard spot and to try to distribute a lot. I mean, he still is doing a fair amount of passing. His assist numbers are up, but kind of realizing that um, it, it's in both of their best interests. Um, it, if Watts wants to play in the NBA, I think he knows that he's going to have to um, to learn point guard and, and do that well. And, and Michigan State needs him there because I think they've got some good wings and, and they needed a point guard. So it's um, it, I think it's got some mutual benefit and it's it's been a bit of a process, but um, I think it's heading in the right direction for both of them. Right now, Wants is averaging four and a half assists. That's not even actually the lead for the starting lineup. That's Aaron Henry, who mm-hmm. the offense kind of does seem to flow through at all times as this perimeter creator who can fill it up, who who rebounds it. He made 12 points, six rebounds, five assists. That's that's do-it-all territory. That's not necessarily Miles Bridges, but you're, you've are you got a wing out there who is doing a little bit of everything and even running some point guard. And this is a huge step for a player who was heavily involved in last year, but the responsibility and the pressure has kind of fallen on him 
What's been that dynamic like for him stepping in as a junior to now kind of lead this team? You know, I've been pretty impressed by him because that's kind of what, I mean, maybe not lead the team, but um, Aaron Henry kind of seemed like he was on the precipice for the last couple of years. You know, uh, Tom has always to always call him Alfred the Butler because he, he was um, Cassius Winston was your Batman and Xavier Tillman um, was your Robin. And then um, Aaron Henry was kind of just outside of there and kind of on the cusp of becoming, you know, um, a really key guy, but but always kind of that third option. Um and I, I think they really wanted him to kind of take it upon himself, look for his shot a little bit more. I think he was a little passive at times in his first couple of years, uh, which is understandable given who he was on the court with. But I think they really wanted him with who they lost this year, him being the the leading returning scorer to really take it upon himself to be the guy. And, and that doesn't come easy to everyone. And, and I was curious if he would really embrace that role and embrace that job and and he has uh you know I, I look at that duke game he was he was doing everything uh he was coaching from the bench he was defending well he was he was taking the ball up against that duke pressure and, and giving them a steady hand on the ball which i think they needed at times uh he's done everything except shoot the ball well i, I think he could um i i think he can shoot the ball from three better than he has but he's also getting to the basket a little bit more and, and trying to initiate contact and um, and be aggressive a little bit more on the offensive end, which has been good. So um, he's been what they needed him to be um, stepping in. I mean, kind of, kind of reminds me of Denzel as far as, I mean, he's not on that level, but just in terms of really being able to do everything in, in, including running the point. Um, and, and they've really needed that given what they lost. The third option at the point for Izzo, A.J. Hogard coming in, and he had a meniscus injury. And this is something that I've actually been curious of. I haven't been able to find anything there. Based on the timeline, the injury happened in the summer, and he was back quickly. I would assume then that would be a meniscus removal, not a repair, which usually puts out a guy for uh, an extended period of time. Do you know what the extent of that injury was, if it was just you know a minor tear that healed up, or if there was a little bit more to it? Um, I don't know all the specifics. I know we had some sort of procedure, but, um, we were told he was really only off the court for two weeks or so. Um, so, um, you know, I don't know all the medical stuff, but, um, it was, it was pretty soon before the season though. I think it was in, um, October or so. So it wasn't very long, but given, given when it happened, um, is I think why we didn't see a whole lot of him in the first couple of games. I think he was still kind of working his way back in. And for a freshman to miss, to miss time at that point in the preseason, um, is tough. So, um, that's what I know about it. Uh, but it, it sounds like he's full go healthy now. Yeah. And, and that's just me kind of being the, the inside basketball nerd right there with the, <laughs> the repair that you can see down the, the road that it has a, I think a 20% failure rate and it puts out a guy for a while, but it at least leaves the meniscus in place. The removal, you can see some guys down the line and maybe develop some issues with um, tendonitis or age or basketball wear, but his freshman coming in, that's not going to be an issue anytime soon. And from what I've seen, I mean, he's top 100 player coming into Michigan State, 6'3". He's the biggest of Michigan State's point guards, at, listed at 220. So he plays kind of on and off ball when he's in there. And from what I've seen from him, I've been impressed with his growth and then especially pairing him up with a a second guard, especially Watts, Watts running in a two guard set like that. It's kind of seemed to be an interesting blend for Izzo there. Do you see him running a little bit more kind of balancing Watts with another guard at times? Yeah, yeah, I think, um, you know, I. I think it makes no sense to have him out there. Not that he can't run point by himself, but to have two different, he gives him a second ball handler out there, which I think can help a guy that can, a guy that can initiate the break. Um, certainly know that they love his size. Uh, I think they feel like if they put him out there um, against uh, a bigger front, bigger opposing backcourt that he'll be able to hold his own um, just given his size. And um I'll be curious once Big Ten play starts what his role is because he, he kind of got that late start we talked about. Um, you know, nobody's given up on Foster Lawyer. Um, so where his minutes kind of come from, I mean, they've kind of had to force it, I feel like, at this point to just kind of make a point to get him in. 
um, with the exception of foul trouble. You know, if you see Rocket get into foul trouble, um, I think he's a guy that that would kind of be the next guy to step in there. But um, yeah, I'll be curious. I mean, the um, the scenario I could see is if um, if Foster Lawyer can't play the role in Big Ten play that he has so far. Because um, the question with him, obviously, has always been physically if he can hold his own on, on defense in the Big Ten, which is still to me an open question here going into going into Big Ten play of his junior year. Um, if that's not working out, then to me, A.J. Hogarth's the, the guy that's going to step in and, and take those minutes. And, and maybe maybe Foster Lawyer's got to figure it out. He, he looked better on defense to me. But that's the scenario to me that we see um, a fair amount of A.J. Hogard um, later in the year um, as if um, as if Foster Lawyer isn't um, defensively, you know, has concerns and, and they have to look in another direction. Yeah, just looking really quick. Uh, just So the guys coming off the bench right now, we got 10 guys playing pretty pretty heavy minutes. Um, Kithier maybe gets snipped in, in and out, but Watts, Langford, Henry, Hauser, Kithier is the starting lineup. You got Lawyer, uh, AJ Hogard maybe as your backup two, shooting guard, Brown coming off as your backup three, and then you've got Hall, Beanham, and Marble. So right there, that's five bigs playing within. So half of your rotation is big men. Uh, I don't know how feasible that is going forward. I know Izzo likes to go deep in the bench when he can, and he definitely has the talent. But do you see Izzo staying with a deep bench into Big Ten play, or is there going to be someone who's going to be the odd man looking out once you get into games that really matter matter for the Big Ten title? I, I think you, you got to tighten that up some. I think they'll still be deeper than a lot of teams, but um, I think I think you said eleven names just now. Um, I mean, you you can't you can't roll through a Big Ten season with that many guys. Um, I, I actually counted it up against Oakland. I think they subbed forty two times or something, um, and it's it's hard to get continuity um, with that. It's hard to um, it's hard for guys to kind of get into a rhythm when things are changing that much. So I, I get why they've done it so far because they've got a lot of guys. They want to see what they've got. Um, Izzo has been pretty open about the fact that he's worried about losing guys to COVID. And if he loses one or two centers to COVID, I think he wants there to be five on the roster that have played legitimate game minutes. Um, so I think there's been some strategy to that. But now that um, you know, you got Wisconsin rolling in soon. You're going to get Illinois and Iowa and all these sorts of um, high-end teams. I, I think you do tighten it up. Um, I, I think one of those centers is going to have to end up being the odd man out. Um, you know, we've seen Kithier kind of kind of like Lawyer um, in some matchups, be kind of matchup limited just with his size and who he can defend. Um, so I wonder if there's games we see less of him. Uh, Marcus Bingham has always kind of been hot and cold. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't see all those guys being able to do it consistently. And then the backcourt, uh, you know, it, it's going to be hard. Um, usually, I mean, it feels like we're always cutting down the rotation at this time. And, um, I can usually kind of take a guess as to how it's going to happen, or most people can probably take a guess of how it's going to happen. But I, I think there's different ways they could go this year. Um, and I'll be curious to see which way they do and how much it changes um, throughout the course of the year because there's they have a lot of different options. But I don't think I don't think play eleven guys through through January and February is one of them, frankly. And also, you've got so many talented players in terms of that starting lineup right there. You kind of want to give those guys a little bit more minutes to go out right. and run and and have bigger wins so then that way maybe you can actually play your bench at that point but you got to get that margin up there you can't keep squeaking past teams like detroit um and in the the big 10 it's going to be a murderer's row just looking at the top 25 you've got iowa there who even has a first place vote uh at at number three and then you've got wisconsin illinois at 12 and 13 ohio state at 20 michigan at 25 it there is a lot of ranked opponents and Izzo maybe can be a little unhappy. Virginia's not on his schedule, but he's going to have plenty of opportunities to play ranked competition as he so loves. Where do you see Michigan State fitting in the Big Ten? They don't have necessarily a true star, like you said, but they have they can go toe-to-toe with anybody in terms of a starting five uh, in the country. Yeah, um, they're a little bit better off now than I would have said um, in 
November. I mean, I think most people had him as, you know, fourth or fifth, somewhere around there. Um, I, I think that they, they've looked a little bit better. Um, you know, Illinois lost a couple games. They could certainly rally, but they haven't been quite as formidable as I thought. Um, I, Iowa's really the only team that I would certainly right now uh, definitely put ahead of them. Okay, I, I've, uh, it, I still need to see it defensively from Iowa and down the stretch, but but based on what I've seen from them so far, um, I've, I've really liked. Um, and and past that, I mean, I, I see them right there with, um, with, with Illinois, with Wisconsin. Um, th- those to me are kind of the top four, but uh, I mean, heck, Rutgers is going to give people close games. Um, uh, Michigan's been good. Ohio State's been good. Um, it, it's going to be tough, but I, I would put them, if I were to do a power ranking right now, I would probably put them second behind Iowa. And, and based off of everything we've seen there, Luke Gars is going to be definitely the X factor in that matchup and how Michigan State can defend them. They have definitely enough bodies. I think that might be the biggest benefit for Michigan State is that they can play, have their their bigs play people and defend the rim at a physical level. And even if guys get in foul trouble, you can throw that uh, keep throwing bodies in there. So I think that will be definitely an advantage in big 10 play. And then from there, kind of like we talked about with football, what is the big question mark? What's the biggest thing Michigan state and Tom Izzo will need to work on this season. And not that there are a lot of question marks. If any, what will be the big thing Izzo and Michigan state will need to work on developing in order to win the big 10 championship and then what is the best thing that they've done so far? Um, I, I do want to see that center spot figured out a little bit. Um, you know, I, I think you can kind of do it by committee a little bit. Um, they, they certainly did that with a power forward spot last year. They, they had a couple different guys there and, and they kind of made it work. But, um, you know, I need to see Marcus Bingham at times has, has been able to be a good Big Ten forward. I think he needs to be there a little bit more often for them. Uh, we, we talked about Julius Marble having the opportunity. I think if he, he needs to play like he can um, uh, to, 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 to kind of shore up that spot, but I think there's still enough question marks there. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, that's probably the biggest question mark for me is, is do they have, do they have the horses at, in the front court at the center spot? Um, not only offensively, but I think, you know, they were so good defensively against Duke. Everyone was, was gushing about it um, and, and rightly so. But since then, I think those guys have um, have been a little bit more suspect. I think they've given up some dribble penetration, um, haven't been quite as staunch defensively as I think they'd like. So I think I'd like to see them get a little bit more, get a little bit better on the defensive end, especially considering who's coming and how many good um good forwards, good big men there are on 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 the, the top Big Ten teams this year. Um and then as far as what's going well, um you know, I, I still think that this backcourt um is is still pretty darn good. Um I, I think Rocket Watts has been um as good as he needs to be at the point guard spot. Uh Joshua Langford. I Heck, I thought he might only be playing 15 minutes a game and be kind of... Yeah, I, I want to spend a moment. I, yeah. I, I've been meaning to gush about him. Uh, his speed, I don't see him being able to sprint up and down the court yeah. as he once did. He's not flying around there. But uh, I was impressed with the rebounds the last game uh, against Western Michigan um, as of this recording. He was flying in there, and he was grabbing out things there, and I'm seeing him soaring. And those are just things I didn't think I'd be able to see out of him again. And with every game, it seems like he's getting more and more comfortable back to not necessarily 100% of what he once was, but he's getting back to being the Joshua Langford that Michigan State knows and loves. Yeah, that, that was my biggest takeaway from the Oakland game. I mean, I mean, I know Gabe Brown scored 27 points, but Joshua Langford for me, just from the eye test, just looked like the guy that uh, the guy that I saw two years ago, a year and a half ago at the Breslin Center. Um, maybe, I don't want to say he lost a step, but I, I think he's combined you know, the athleticism and the skills that he has with some of the experience. I mean, he, he, he shows kind of an old man game, not to, not to belittle him because he's certainly still very talented. The shaved head does that too. Yeah. I mean, like, you're oh, right. that, that's, that makes him look like a decade older than yeah. he was. Uh, but he's, um, I mean, he, he's smart. I mean, he knows what he's doing out there. Um, but defensively he gets into people. He makes a ton of smart plays. I think he's a better passer than what I remember him being um from a couple years ago so he he has exceeded my expectations uh it's going to be a long season and he's he's got an injury history so you're not you still kind of uh cross your fingers with him but um 
yeah, I mean, between him, I think Rocket Watts has made that transition about as well as you can expect in point guard. Um, Aaron Henry's been good. All three of those guys are really plush defenders. Um, I, I mentioned before I have some questions about how they're going to defend some of these bigs, but I think on the perimeter, I think they're pretty solid. So I, um, I think they've got perimeter overall, one of the better ones in the Big Ten, um, and I think that's a strength for them. Yeah, and, and you know, if, if if they really ever have any issues with anybody out there, they can just, you know, throw Matty Sissoko out there <laughs> and he'll manhandle somebody for, you know, five good minutes and five good fouls. And that'll, you know, put the fear of God or whatever you're going to pray to to not be crushed by that that giant man-child. My gosh, he, <laughs> I can't wait to see what he turns into. Well, Kyle, I thank you so much for you spending your time for both these episodes of Michigan State football and now basketball. Let's uh, tell the people, what are you up to? You're over at MLive and you're always cranking out some of the best content there is on the Michigan State beat. Yeah, uh, MLive.com slash Spartans is where you'll find uh, everything, uh, everything Michigan State uh, doing uh a lot of signing day stuff along with uh, Matt Wenzel, my uh, my beat partner here, and uh, getting into the uh, the meat of the, the Big Ten basketball season. So it should be fun. And where can people follow you on social media? Uh, that would be on Twitter at Kyle B. Austin, not into the uh, TikTok or Snapchat or, or anything like that. <laughs> and, and there's all, all these new social media accounts. I just heard of something called MeWe today for the first time and i and i had to ask a coworker, have you heard of this thing am i getting old i, I know i have gray hair but am i old yet no uh, yeah so well kyle thank you so much for uh taking the time out of your busy schedule i really appreciate it hey thank you big thank you to kyle austin for coming on the show today really awesome and really appreciate talking and really he gave us a lot of time he went really in depth we covered almost anything under the sun or it's michigan so it can be a little cloudy so Everything under the haze that can exist over Michigan with all the clouds. But from everyone here at News 10, before we go, we want to wish you a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. We hope you and your family are able to stay safe. However, you're celebrating this time, the end of the year, moving into 2021. We hope you all have a fantastic and safe festivities. Please remember, you can subscribe on any podcast service that you're listening to, probably right now. Subscribe, give us a rating. That's really going to help bump up the numbers as we're starting to develop this program. And then follow us along on social media. You can search WILX on Facebook, WILX on Twitter. And I am on Twitter at jgustin113. That's J-G-U-S-T-I-N-113. And you can also find me on Facebook at John Gustin TV. Thank you so much for listening. I can't wait for our next episode. We'll talk to you then.